The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Tweet any question you have for the hosts with the hashtag DealWithYield or email them at host at dealwithyield.com for the chance to hear their response. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our hosts, Joel Wipperforth, Winfield Ag Technology Application Lead, and Kyle Reiner, Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor. Let's take a look back at the growing season, and what about uh, pressure this year from disease, insects, and weeds? Man, the disease. Pressure. Oh, pressure. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. In the state of Minnesota, I've never seen so much gas wilt, and it's bacterial. You can spray a fungicide on it to control it. It's a genetically selection that you're going to have to choose and depict on your farm what you're going to choose for the years down the road, whether you're doing corn on corn for multiple years, 50 years on some of these dairies. I mean, they're looking at going, what's the best option I have? Because I don't have too many varieties out there that are really good on Goss's wilt. My worst cases come off of a guy that bought residue off the field, ran it through his cattle lot, spread it back out there, traded bales for manure and those fields died about two months early it was significant we've always seen nebraska and colorado be kind of the gosses wilt capitals of the world but uh, in minnesota this year with the amount of hail we had and amount of dirt that moved early this spring and then uh, the spreading of some of this manure that had some uh, gosses in it there was a big infestations of fields in many counties. When you talk about trading bales for manure, is manure a common currency for you in western Minnesota? It's horse trading 101. <laughs> yeah, I think some of the diseases that we saw, not all of them came in and had an opportunity to have a big impact on yield. I walked some fields here uh, you know, earlier in the year, and the ear, the grain set up really nicely. We were head on heat units. When that wet cycle came through, we did see the disease, the inoculus diseases, the diseases that are always out there, really start to shine. It was a mixed bag of everything. We saw some gosses wilt that caused some ghost plants all the way back to shoulder-high V12 time frame. There certainly wasn't a shortage of anthracnose or fusarium. There was some rust coming through, gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf flight. And those are diseases that weren't spread geographically everywhere in the years past. And we're really starting to see high inoculum levels build for when the environment hits, we're really seeing a lot of that. So I don't think anybody's going to really get by anymore without having hybrids that have good multi-disease tolerances to them. Gosses, wilt, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. you got to take some notes as you're in the fields this fall and in the combine as to what diseases are out there. Because if you're going back to corn the coming year, you really got to make sure that you've, you've selected a hybrid that counters what disease that was. You can consider burying the residue a little deeper if, uh, if you got a, a little more aggressive tillage from a plow to a ripper. Or you can consider harvesting stocks, and Kyle will sell you, will give you some manure back, I guess. A plow? <laughs> a plow? They'd have to cut a tree out if you get the plows back out. <laughs> we joke about it, but managing residue is the biggest thing for gosses. If you can find a neighbor that wants the gosses infected corn residue, that'd be a good spot for it. Do you disclose that when you sell them bales? That is non-disclosable. You don't charge extra for gosses' wilt bales? No, no. Okay. 
But uh, going through that burying residue, if you do get some soil moving in the spring or you get an infection source of an insect out there, we saw it in our space this year that it's going to be 20 to 50 bushel, pretty easy on corn that it's going to take off. You talked a lot about rust and northern corn leaf blight and a lot of those things. You could pick them up on in-season imagery where people applied fungicide to those higher response scores to fungicide. It's going to be a, a change in the way we think and the way we apply any kind of fungicides in the future. I mean, you're going to have the fields that you're going to really try to push and uh, look on return per bushel and under those well-tiled field, pattern-tiled field, whatever. There's certain varieties that do respond and some that don't. And uh, I think that's somewhere where we can really help the grower on that decision. Late in the year... We used a drone to go up and fly some strip trials of fungicide that got put out there. And every time that NDVI image was picking up that there was more plant health around those fungicides. So, you know, obviously that's got to equate back to yield, but that was one of the ways in-season imagery. And in this this case, uh, the strips were kind of in different spots, and we were looking at some other trial instances. But we used imagery as a way to see where those fungicides were showing up big time and then carried that through in the yield monitor. And when all was said and done, how high were the soybean aphid levels and what type of an issue was the soybean aphid this year? In Minnesota, there was kind of hit and miss. Certain geography sprayed a lot of aphids, and the people in town waited for us to spray aphids because the mosquito population was just horrendous this year. With the amount of rainfall we've had, they're like, when are you guys going to spray for aphids? And I kind of laugh about it. I didn't really think anybody in town kind of picked up on, hey, we're spray for aphids, mosquitoes are gone, but they were, they were begging us to spray. And in a lot of cases, the numbers weren't necessarily there. There were some fields that were not sprayed in my area, and there was fields that had abundance amount and it kind of depicted on where the location was if it was down along the river with the buckthorn or heavy infestations with buckthorn in groves but there were some spots that just didn't get sprayed the other thing too is a lot of the beans that were treated with insecticide on the actual seed held off the big heavy infestations of aphids so whether that's a decision of whether you're going to spray twice without using insecticide on seed or trying to come up with a different philosophy to manage insecticides that actually work on killing the aphid and protecting your yield. So, Yeah, the good news is we didn't have spider mites this year. <laughs> we drowned them out. <laughs> We had Japanese beetles in certain areas, though. Oh, they're, they're still coming on strong. Well, we got Palmer. Palmer made it to the state. Not 100% confirmed at this time, but speculation is it's Palmer, and it's going to be here to stay. The difference between Palmer and what we have for water hemp right now is whether you can run it through a sickle and spread it back out in the field. You're going to have to get out and pull a Palmer because it's not going to fit through your sickle sections. And I remember as a kid, Joel driving a truck way before I had my driver's license and pulling weeds so that it didn't slug the combine. Those weeds actually could have ran through a sickle, but the palmer is is much bigger at the base. It's similar to a tree and lignin, but it's going to change the way we manage all crops. Did it surprise you that it was uh, found in Minnesota? Well, I don't know. Our training through uh, some of our more storied uh, agronomists would always say, always bet on the past. 
And, you know, it's just a matter of time before it got here. I think my key takeaway from listening to Kyle about Palmer is that if you're going to get Palmer, you should have more kids. But from a management standpoint, hoping for the the approval of dicamba being sprayed over top of Extend Soybeans, we've got one maybe two modes of action coming with dicamba and 2,4-D soybeans coming onto the market. The good news is since those varieties were delayed an extra year, we've got a little bit more genetic diversity in them. We still have to approach this crop with multiple modes of action and helper herbicides to manage that. Otherwise, the palmer, it's already resistant to the new modes of action that we've got out here. So it's it's going to be a unique game looking at a few dead soybean fields as we introduce new herbicide modes of action to the marketplace. But no, it doesn't surprise me. It's a game of always bet on the past. I think another chemistry that we maybe overlooked here for a second was Liberty. They've been using Liberty for a long time down south, doing a very good job of controlling Palmer. And it's a chemistry that's currently working. If we treat Liberty like we treated glyphosate, it's a matter of time and that won't work either. So like Joel alluded to earlier, it's going to be multiple layers of multiple chemistries it's going to be spraying more often than we were accustomed to. And if we don't win against the war on weeds right now, we had a long time before stuff changes in our area. I guess the other thing is you can go corn on corn and, and try to kill it in your corn and hope that it doesn't grow over the top of your tassels. Those who cheat in corn will pay for it in beans. Certainly the corn herbicides are a lot less expensive to be able to control these broadleaves. Driving across the state, seeing some water hemp fields poking out and seeing some people spray in the month of July for water hemp. There was an interesting piece uh, one of our regional agronomists pulled up this year. He talked about nine days after flowering, nine to 12 days after flowering, about 50% of those water hemp seeds are viable. So if you're out there pulling weeds before it combines, you're just shaking seeds into next year's seed weed bank. I thought that was kind of interesting is if you're out there spraying and you can see a seed head on a water hemp, you're toast. They're already out there. Yeah, we'll have to go like the European Union does over there and, and get the seed crushers, right? <laughs> Hook them on the back of the combines, run all the residue through there and crush the seeds. That sounds like a good reason to have a field fire. <laughs> Soybean sudden death syndrome, was that an issue this year in many areas? I've never seen sudden death as bad as what we've kind of seen the explosion of it this year. It seems it was a new disease maybe four or five years ago. Nobody had ever really heard of it. There was a lot of, you know, do we have it? Do we not have it? But certainly we started to just get it on the end rows where there was compaction. We're starting to see it in larger and larger patches now. So we've got a couple options there. You know, there's some new seed treatments on the market that can take a swing at it. We're going to have to breed soybean varieties through that disease so that we can get more resistance that way to it. But I think last year, I remember this time talking about some travel out to uh, Ohio, Indiana, and seeing you know some whole field scenarios where it was pretty well lit up across the entire field. And I saw a lot more pressure, a lot more widespread. And one thing that was hard to determine this year was, is it sudden death or is it brown stem rot? And the likelihood is, is you had both in the same field, potentially even in the same plant. I know in areas that we cover in Minnesota, there was some that come in late. Some varieties of soybeans are way worse than others. I always call it, are they allergic to it or not? Um, but uh, early planting does not help the SDS, but early planting always helps putting more grain in the tank. So it's kind of how do we, how do we manage it? Cold and wet, compacted areas usually bring on SDS earlier if we wait till it warms up a little better. You know, that's the defense mechanism towards it. But 
That could be your defense mechanism, put more grain in the tank too. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperfirth, Winfield Ag Technology Application Lead and Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor, Kyle Reiner. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. 